Recently, Lingo Dean and Riandin Kennedy sat down with Disney Research Fellow Lanny Smoot for an in-depth conversation. Topics range from his background, what led to winning Most Promising Engineer, and much more. Stay tuned for USBE and Information Technology Magazine's presentation of A Conversation with Lanny Smoot, featuring Lingo Dean and Riandin Kennedy. Good afternoon, everyone. It's Tuesday, November 19th, 2019, and today we are talking to someone who has had a very, very long relationship with Bea. Um, we're on the, uh, it's less than 100 days to uh, Bea 2020, and we're looking forward to seeing you all in Washington, D.C. in February during Black History Month. Well, um, more than what, I don't want to date Lanny, but uh, more than 30 years ago, Lanny Smoot, who's a Disney Research Fellow, um, he's been uh, a fellow for a number of years in Disney, won the Most Promising Engineer Award. And since then, he's gone on and done some fantastic, fantastic things. For instance, he has more than 90 patents. So he's going to tell us all the good stuff. He's going to tell us how he got there, how you can get there, how you can get his job, how you can do what he does, how you can get internships at Disney, and how electrical engineering translates to what he's doing now. He's going to tell us all of that good stuff. So welcome to the show, Mr. Smoot. Well, I'm happy to be here, and um, I still uh, have the award at home. And um, as a matter of fact, I just sent it to uh, you and uh, Lango just as a, a reminder of how important it is to me. Thank you. Welcome again. Well, it's been a while since we talked. I mean, you won this award uh, in the 80s, in the mid-80s, and uh, we were hoping to see you again for a Lifetime Achievement Award uh, next year, but that may not happen next year. But who knows? It might happen in the future. But tell us, what have you been doing since? How did your career, how did you get to winning a Most Promising Engineer Award? And then from that point, take try to bring us up to speed and how okay. you, that, you are today. Right. Um, when I won the award, I was working for Bell Communications Research. And uh, those of you who are a little older may remember that at one time, the entire telecommunications network for the, for the country was run centrally by AT&T, Bell Labs, and uh, Bell Communications Research, ultimately. And Bellcore, as it was called, was responsible for defining how the entire telephone network worked. And I had made a number of patents that helped that whole network do its job. So for instance, um, early in my career, I worked on the first fiber optic telecommunication systems that were put into the telephone network. And most people know that, of course, telephone calls are transmitted on wires. Um, and that's the way it has been since uh, it had been since Alex Alexander Graham Bell's invention of the telephone and possibly others <laughs> invention of the telephone. But um, later, the telephone network realized or the folks uh, working with me realized that ordinary copper wire can only transmit a, t a single telephone call uh, at a time, maybe with special electronics, a few telephone calls. 
fiber optic systems can transmit millions of simultaneous telephone calls. And there was a tremendous push to try to get optical fiber into the telephone network. Turns out it was very expensive. The components didn't work very well outdoors in cold and hot temperatures. And um, they were not able to be installed easily. I solved a number of those, number of those problems by making uh, low-cost telecommunications gear that used fiber optic te technology um, to connect homes and businesses to the telephone network. And at the time, the what are called optical receivers that I designed had the most ability to withstand very high optical levels and low optical levels, meaning they could be put into the telephone network without the danger of them being overloaded by the, uh, the optical transmitter that might be close to them or being too uh, weak in terms of being able to understand signals so that they couldn't work at distances. So it solved the problem of putting optical fiber into the telephone network cheaply and with high performance technology. Um, I also worked um, a little later at Bell Communications Research on what would happen if we had high-speed telecommunications into our homes. Now we, t we take for granted having high-speed internet at home and being able to access the internet. Um, when I was coming up, the internet didn't exist, which is hard to believe for some of the younger listeners, but um, because of contributions I made to um, allowing, again, high-speed optical com uh, communications to homes, but also what are called the high-speed switches. Now, a lot of people think about a wall switch that turns the lights on and off. I'm not talking about that type of thing. It's the high-speed computers that are able to switch information to the millions of people that need it without having interference between those digital bits. So I worked on uh, some of those early uh, systems and have several patents um, that enable this high-speed communication that runs our world. Um, a little after that, I started thinking about, well, gee, if you have all this bandwidth, what would you use it for? And now, you know, you mentioned, um, you know, uh, Disney streaming, Disney Plus streaming. A lot of streaming in general um, is enabled by um, high-speed communications networks. Um, and one of the things you can have is video on demand. We take that as a normal thing now that we watch movies, um, you know, that are delivered by high-speed communications networks. But those things, again, didn't exist when I was coming up. And some of my technologies um, led to um, the widespread usage of digital high-speed communications because of the, the advances we made. I think some of that some of that led to that initial um, most promising engineer award. And um, I'm proud of those in the past. Since then, um, I moved from Bell Communications. I had a long career at Bell Communications Research, 14 years there. And I made an invention called the electronic panning camera. Uh, this was a sort of a precursor to, to uh, today's virtual reality. It was an idea that would allow people at home to have cameras that were remote from them where they could control the view that they saw. That, now that service still doesn't explicitly exist, but many of its pieces do. So in other words, I could be sitting in my living room 
watching a boxing match or, you know, football game and choose the viewpoint that I want. Um, that technology became of interest to Disney, which um, uh, allowed me to meet some of the folks at Disney. And um, to make a long story short, that introduction caused them to be interested in me as a supervisor to come in and to manage the research arm of Disney located out in East Hampton, Long Island. And a lot of people say, wait a minute, Disney in Long Island? I didn't know that. And I was the head of the research arm there. Uh, we did work for the Disney company in creating new technologies, um, many of which are still in use. And I made several key patents there. A few years after I joined in Long Island, uh, our group in Long Island moved out here to uh, the headquarters of the Walt Disney Imagineering organization. And um, I was part of the research and development arm there inside of uh, Imagineering. And Imagineering, in its past, did all of the design for the theme parks, the hotels, cruise ships, etc. We've just grown by um, partnering with now the consumer products portion of the business. So Imagineering proper now does all of the experiences uh, for the Walt Disney Company, everything that's new. Um, ultimately, I joined Disney Research, which is the part of the Disney organization that looks the furthest out um, uh, for technology. And here I've been able to develop all sorts of fun things. Disney is a, a, a bit of a comp uh, Walt Disney is a, a little bit of a different company um, than others. We are more interested in the entertainment side of communication. So I could use my communications background, but now we're more interested in what a human sees uh, of of computers and, and the high-speed networks. So I've made all sorts of inventions on how to make our parks more interactive. That is, um, you know, where, for instance, an exhibit that I contributed to was called Where's the Fire? And you have a flashlight that actually can see through the walls of a home. So why would you have that? We set up uh, families who visit the, the uh, parks uh, to be able to find safety hazards in a mock home. And two groups, two families can uh, compete to use these magic flashlights to see whether there are safety hazards like, uh, you know, nails that have been drawn, you know, uh, hammered into the wall and have accidentally hit electrical wires, et cetera. And um, so it was both a, a public service uh, to have this attraction, but also was a lot of fun for our guests. So um, I think I'll take a break now. I've sort of summarized some of the things that have um, allowed me to uh, contribute to the companies I work for and also uh, to build up quite a, quite a number of patents. I think I'm actually at patent number 87 issued with probably 20 or 30 uh, pending. So pretty soon I'll have 90 patents and wow. that'll be fun. Yeah. Wow. Well, 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 before we delve into patents and, 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 and all the, uh, the importance of them and why it's, so, it's just absolutely necessary for, um, because I read a study recently about uh, the dearth of minorities in uh, the patent making world and not enough minorities are, are being granted patents. 
and um, people are putting together think tanks and other kind of studies and, and communities where they're going to help more minority people, women, men and women get patents. But before we get onto that, um, there were two, two interesting things that popped up. One was um, how you got to Bell Labs. I mean, once you got there, there were all these wonderful things that you did. And I don't know how many patents you got before you left, but it sounds like you got quite a good many. But how did you get there? And what was the path that took you to Bell Labs? Because Bell Labs was a pretty prestigious uh, R&D uh, uh, um, um, shop. Uh, a lot of people that we've written about in Black Engineer uh, magazine uh, mentioned Bell Labs. So some people, you know, a lot of them award winners like yourself. Uh, mentioned Bell Labs along their career path. So tell us how you got there and, and, and what was the path that took you to, to Bell Labs and what got you interested in engineering. And also there was something else that you said about this 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 uh, technology that enables you to choose what you want to see. So if you're watching a ball game, you can actually choose what you want to see. So if you could tell us a little bit about that, I don't know if that's a reality right now, but it sounds like something that I'd be very interested in. So take it. <laughs> okay. So in general, how did I get back? To, uh, how did I get into Bell Labs? Let me back up a little bit. Um, from my earliest moment um, in in remembrance in life, maybe I was four or five years old. Um, I've always been interested in science and technology. How I started, um, my parents uh, didn't have a lot of money. Uh, my dad was always uh, repairing gadgets and um, very, very creative man, but only had a high school diploma, as did my mom. And that figures into what I'm going to tell you in a few minutes. And though they encouraged me to follow my interests, and my dad one day brought home a um, battery bulb bell and he hooked them up and he got the bell ringing and the light came on and it lit my life up, I will say. And from that earliest memory, maybe five years old, I was always interested in science and technology. Um, I was a good student through school, um, but again, without a lot of money and without knowledge of what college was, I had uh, also no early role models except for my dad. I, you know, there were no engineers in my neighborhood. I grew up in a, uh, a part of Brooklyn that where you wouldn't see many engineers or scientists. Um, and so <laughs> my earliest memories or role models were the television shows I'd watch as a kid, like Mission Impossible. Uh, if you remember many years ago, there was a black character, a guy named Barney, who was an engineer on the show. And that was the closest I got to knowing what engineers did. But I wanted to be that type of person that could solve problems with creative solutions that I would create myself and, and partnering with others. Um, by the time I was in high school, all the way from junior high school to high school, I was a very good student. I wanted to do or participate in all the science fairs and anything I could do that would help me learn more about what I love, which is science. And I always encourage young people, and this is old advice, but it's the best advice in the world. Do what you love, whether it's art, uh, whether it's writing, drawing, music, or in my case, science or electricity in particular and electronics. Do what you love and do it as much as you possibly can. 
That's how you get to be good at something, and that's what stood me in good stead. So by the time I was through with high school, in high school, I started thinking about colleges, had no idea what college I wanted to go to. I'd heard that, um, by the way, I went to, to Brooklyn Tech on a kind of um, advice from my junior high school counselor who said, oh, you should go to a school that will challenge you. Brooklyn Tech is one of the high schools in New York City that you take a test to get into. Um, it was a great experience for me because I found other people, high school students that were interested in the same types of things that I was, science, technology, math, etc. And um, I didn't know exactly how to get into college. I took the SATs, did well in them, but I didn't know what it really meant. And by that time, my parents really couldn't help me. Again, they'd never gone to college. They weren't sure how to do it or how to go about it. And what I wound up doing is um, applying to a number of schools. I applied to MIT, to Rensselaer Polytech, to Columbia University, uh, to all kinds of great schools. Had no idea whether I would get in or not or how I would pay for it. Turns, in, turns out I got into all of those schools. And it was surprising to me, and I was really happy about it, but then it was sort of how to pay for it. And MIT sent me a note saying, hey, we'll give you a partial scholarship. Uh, you can wait tables uh, for the other part of it. And I said, oh, it's a good deal. I, I'll do that. Rensselaer Polytech, similar thing. Columbia University, uh, similar thing. Now, what happened to me was kind of amazing. I never paid attention to when um, school universities would come to high schools to recruit. I didn't pay attention to those things. And if I can advise youngsters now, pay attention to those. Those schools that those universities or colleges that visit your high school looking for students, that is an amazing opportunity. You should take advantage of it. I didn't. I was surprised one day sitting in my senior class when a message comes over the PA system that I wanted in the principal's office. I started thinking, did I, have I done anything wrong recently? I don't think so, but <laughs> I better go. <laughs> it turns out there was a gentleman there named Jim Stewart. I'll never forget him. He's an African-American gentleman. He says, I'm from Bell Labs, and I'm very angry at you, Lanny. You have not come to any of our recruiting uh, meetings. We've come to your school twice. Uh, you've not reached out to us. Um, I said, I'm sorry, but I don't know who you are. And I learned that Bell Labs is, as you said earlier, uh, Lango, a premier research facility in the country uh, for electrical engineering, especially for the telephone systems at that time. And I said, I'm sorry, I didn't know what to do. He says, well, I want to interview you, and we may be able to offer you a scholarship. Okay, sounds good. He interviewed me. Uh, I went back to my class, forgot about it. A month later, I got a call from Bell Labs saying that I had a full scholarship to Columbia University, including books, tuition, fees, et cetera, and that I had been identified as a student with very high uh, probability of doing well in the electrical engineering area. So what wound up happening is I worked for Bell Labs during the summers and went to school during the um, years of uh, getting my bachelor's degree from Columbia University and BS, uh, Bachelor of Science degree in electrical engineering. Later on, I went back to school and got a master's degree in electrical engineering, again from Columbia, and paid for by Bell Labs. And then I spent 
probably four or five years working for Bell Labs, I think in some sense pay, paying back for the uh, wonderful tuition um, uh, that they had paid me for. And I made several inventions, as I described, that allowed the telephone network to integrate both fiber optics into the system, into the telephone system, and many other things. So I would say, looking back, investment in black youth and engineering uh, absolutely pays off. I think I, I, I can say now somewhat proudly, I think I've paid back any college tuition that was ever uh, spent on me. So that's how I got to Bell Labs. Um, while there, uh, I quickly advanced through the ranks, and by the time I left Bell Labs, I was a group supervisor, which meant I had other engineers working, on, working for me uh, on different projects. I left Bell Labs in 1984 with the changing of the telephone networks and went to Bell Communications Research, basically the follow-on company after the breakup of the Bell system in 1984. And I worked there for 14 years on all sorts of other inventions. As you said, I made um, probably 27 or 28 inventions by the time I had left Bell Labs and Bell Communications Research. So um, again, I felt <laughs> I've, I've sort of uh, paid my dues in terms of helping the companies that I've worked for to do well. Well, at this point, um, I am going to, uh, I think Ray is probably burning up with questions because uh, I know that, you know, we've been talking now for what, about 10, 15 minutes. So I'll let Ray, you know, uh, come in with his questions and then I'll come back uh, at the back end and uh, ask you about patents and all that fun stuff. Sounds great. Ooh, Lego, you must have been reading my mind. I, I, I do have <laughs> questions and um, and I'll throw it back to you afterwards. Mr. Okay. Smoot, so I, I've been here uh, working with uh, CCG and BEA for about seven years and I see the community. This year will be the 34th BEA and I, I've, I, I see BEA as it is now. Um, but my question to you, you won the most promising engineer uh, at the very first BEA. And so my question is, can you talk to me about what that atmosphere was like? Uh, I don't know if you've seen BEA recently, but it has grown quite a bit. And so I'm always around a lot of great people and Dr. Taborn. Uh, I want to know kind of what BEA 1 was like. Um, you know, I, it, it was a wonderful experience. Um, Winning the award was both great for me to attend the ceremony where I, I uh, received the award and um, seeing other uh, folks that were aspiring as I was to do well. Um, it was also great uh, for having won the award and my relationship with my own company. So Belcor, I think, had done its best to try to do recruiting of, of uh, African-American and other um, underrepresented groups, uh, African-American folks. But um, winning an award like that uh, was covered in the local uh, Bell Communications uh, research uh, newspaper. Uh, it was given a lot of notoriety. And I think winning an award like this is is wonderful for the person who wins it. I'm not I'm not going to kid you. 
that's great. But I think it's more important that other young black folks, um, some of which, some of whom re attended the uh, cel the uh, celebration for the award, see that people that are just like them that have a love. In my case, again, it's engineering. I but I'm just it's just one of the facets that young people can be interested in. They can see that people like them who are African American can do. This, they can do the same things that we have done. So for me, it was an exciting event. Um, I don't remember. I think we had to give a speech. Again, it was 30 years ago. And I, I'm sure I gave thanks to, um, you know, U.S. Black Engineer and um, others. But what I'll remember is the pride in having won the award. No doubt about that. But more so the fact that people looked at the award as achievable by ordinary by ordinary human beings and and that to me is the is is the real legacy effect of the of the award and it was exciting i remember that yeah yeah and i i had to ask that question because um the first bail was in 87 and uh i don't think i told you this but i wasn't born to 89 so i'm 30 <laughs> i'm 30 years old right now <laughs> and so I've been working hard all of your life, <laughs> trying to trying to to uh, say I I somehow may have uh, you know made the promise of the award. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. definitely, definitely, and and what Bay is now is definitely you can see that it it was it was grounded and, and built on the shoulders of people like yourself. Um, I think it was Dr. Slaughter that won that year. Um, yes, yes. Yes. Um, I mean, the, the, you hear these stories and, you know, being the part of the editorial team, you know, I look back and I can see the articles and the, and the older uh, books. But uh, I just wanted to get a sense of, uh, of what it was, uh, what it was like. What did that, uh, how did that award impact your career at that point? I know you said it kind of uh, brought you closer to your company and showed that, like their, their appreciation of you, but uh, personally, um, what did that award mean to you? Um, it means validation that, um, you know, you've achieved something that you can be proud of, that you've been selected from amazing other folks. I mean, when I, I um, took a look at some of the winners, especially of, uh, of the Black Engineer of the Year Award, and these are amazing people. Um, and I think it raises the consciousness for all of the things that uh, especially black people uh, achieve regularly, but may not be, um, those things may not be known. Um, I just I, I just mentioned one one name. I don't know if he has won an award uh, from Black Engineer, but Jim West um, was a mentor to me when I was at Bell Labs. And Jim West is an African-American and he was he is the inventor of the electret microphone now you and i are on a conference call right now uh recording this and i'm speaking into a telephone and you are and you may be speaking into an iphone ipad or any other thing i guarantee you it has an electret microphone in it um it's probably the most common thing every single telephone probably in the united states now uses an electric microphone if it's newer than 
maybe 30 or 40 years. So for the last 30 or 40 years, that's been the predominant technology. Many people don't know that. I can brag a little bit about my friend there. And there are so many um, African-Americans who have contributed in, a ma- contributed in a major way to society and are just unknown. So an award uh, like yours makes people more aware of the contributions that um, that that African-Americans make to society. Um, I think Pat White, who uh, coincidentally was my boss at the time, uh, may have been honored by uh, USBE also. And Pat White, again, I'll brag, he may, he may be hearing this. Uh, I haven't seen him in a little while uh, because we've gone to separate companies and also separate coasts. But um, he at one point was, now this is an amazing thing, the, he was the architect of the U.S. telephone network. Now, you think about that. Wait a minute. The architect of the network, wasn't it built before? Each year, Belcor would have a single person who was responsible for the overall design of the telephone network. It's a very high-level position, and uh, Pat White uh, became that architect. So all of the communications network of the United States were in his hands, an African-American, and I don't know if people know that. So, um, you know, I think having your award was another way of making sure that the general public knows about the contributions of of black folks. Absolutely. And uh, that, that is a very important point, and, you know, that's that's why we exist, um, to, to, to make sure that people are aware and young people know um, about these great inventors who look just like them, come from similar backgrounds. Uh, one name that I always throw out, because um, uh, I, I, I'm a gamer, you know, I've been gaming, you know, a, a lot of my life. Um, Jerry Lawson, I'm not sure if you're familiar with him, but he's noted as being the godfather of the in-home video game system. And oh my, that's fact, a, that's a new one for me, and I'm very happy to know that. Go ahead. Yeah, Jerry Jerry Lawson. He was uh he was noted as a genius back in uh, the, the early days of Silicon Valley. Um, but it, when I think about you know how many uh, young African American Hispanic gamers and people who who play these games and they don't know that the creator, the guy who kind of ushered this in to being able to play out of the arcade and into your home, was uh, was a black man. And they can go from being consumers to creators. Uh, I think that's a very important path, and, and that's why people like yourself and Mr. Law uh, and Mr. Lawson um, are, are are. It's important to know what's going on, and so that they can make that transition and know the possibilities that they are capable of as well. Um, so yeah, so I think that was a very good point, Lango. I'm going to uh, throw it back your way. Um, Okay, and picking up from that point, um, going back to uh, what uh, uh, Mrs. Smoot said about um, James West, uh, Ray, remember he's uh, he's appeared in uh, the magazine uh, USB uh, so many times, and he mm-hmm. uh, I think he won a Lifetime Achievement Award, if I'm not mistaken, a couple of years ago. So yeah, he's been on our radar for some time. And, okay, uh, good, good. Then yeah. my then my my loss for having missed it. So, but right, he right. absolutely absolutely deserves it. It's an amazing guy. Yeah, and the thing is, we we take what he invented so much for granted. Like we we took what you invented so much for granted that these things that are 
make our lives, our everyday lives easier, that, you know, they just like, we, nobody really pays attention to. I don't think you stop for a moment to think about it. I wonder who invented this. I wonder who actually thought about this and made this happen. I, I don't think people think along those terms. And a lot of the time, I mean, we go back to this old, uh, this old saying, necessity is the mother of invention. So there was a necessity at some point, and then somebody was right there who had the, uh, the, the, the keen mind and the, uh, the luck and, the, and everything just came together at that point. And they they just advanced, uh, made uh, humanity progress and advance um, by leaps and bounds uh, in a moment, in, in a heartbeat, or in, however you want to look at it. Um, so going back to something I said earlier, why is it important that um, more minorities are part of innovating, a part of inventing a part of getting patents for research and all that good stuff. Why is it important? If it's so important, how are people like yourselves making it happen, making sure that you are pulling through young people who may not know, like you didn't know going back all those years, you didn't know that you were supposed to, when the, um, the companies came on campus to do the milk run, as I call it, you didn't know that that was a good time to approach a company and find out about scholarships, internships, co-op opportunities, you didn't know. But guess what? It happened. You know, the uh, the, the uh, universe was aligned, and uh, things happened for you, and you were able to go on to university with a scholarship, go on to work for the same company, did fantastic things at the, at the company, uh, marvelous career achievements, and then you moved on from there. So how how are you making how you how are you ensuring that um, other young people come forward and and carry on the work of inventing and innovating, and um, why is it important that you know um, people keep doing that? You're listening to a conversation with Lanny Smoot, featuring Lango Dean and Rayondin Kennedy. Presented by USBE and Information Technology Magazine. Okay. So for all my career, I've been interested in, because of my own experience in being in not being aware of opportunities that I could have taken advantage of, I have um, done a few things. So let's go all the way back. When I worked for Bell Labs, I formed. There was a, a group there called ABLE. It was, this, uh, was the Association of Black Laboratories uh, Employees, and it was a self-help group. It was sanctioned by the president of Bellcore. Um, ultimately, not quite at first, but ultimately. And um, its whole purpose was to introduce new employees to the opportunities within the company and to help even their children to learn more about opportunities at either Bell uh, system facilities or at other places. Um, I formed a branch of it, which was called the Collective Effort Management Development Program. Uh, we called it SIMDIP. 
And the idea of it was that we had a small group of engineers at the company compared to the entire company, but we found that we were all in different units of the company. Some worked in aerospace systems, some worked in uh, uh, transmission systems, all these different groups. Not, maybe we weren't a lot in those groups, but together we knew what was going on in the entire company. And what we did is to give noon hour talks to each other. So we're all engineers, but we're engineer, but we're experts in different fields, and we would give presentations to the other engineers. And I think it led to extreme success that would not have happened if um, if we didn't do that. Why? Because you'd be sitting in a meeting, a technical meeting. Someone would ask a question, and you could say, "Oh, I'm familiar with that, and how that interfaces with our systems. I know about that work." And it was astonishing because, um, you know, uh, people who are more experienced than we were, we were sort of young coming up and, you know, would say, how do you know that? Oh, I have a friend in another organization. Oh, really? Now, you know, I think I, I carry that through to working at Bell Communications Research. And here at Disney, there are groups, um, I just uh, was at one, which are um, introducing um, people here in the company to some opportunities they may not have been aware of, et cetera. I also do outside speaking. I've done speaking at high schools, at colleges. I've done recruiting at the traditionally uh, uh, minority or traditionally black colleges. Um, and so I think it, it is everyone's responsibility even more so African-Americans themselves, to make sure that everyone has a chance, a, a shot at making contributions to society. Now, everyone should support that because people who are being wasted, you know, the United Negro College Fund has the saying, you know, it's a terrible thing to waste a black mind, or paraphrasing a little there. Um, it's, it's a waste if you have intelligent, smart, eager young people who want to go into, let's say, technical fields and are stopped, not because they can't do the work, but because they just don't know about opportunities. So when I have a chance to speak at different, um, uh, in different venues that will allow African-Americans in particular to know more about the opportunities that are available, I try to do it. Um, I literally was at one last week, so um, this is something I just believe in doing uh, because it's helpful. And you asked, why should people get patents? Patents um, are an interesting thing. I'll give you a little quick story about what a patent is. It is, a not, a, it is not a right for you to do anything. People say, wait a minute, but that's what patents are. No, they're a right to to prohibit others from doing what you want to do. So patents protect the rights of companies to practice an idea without the worry of other people copying that idea and using it um, in other ways. And so you can uh, go to court if someone is infringing your patent using what you've learned and stop them from doing it. So it's important for especially black entrepreneurs to have patents because it allows them to own or to run companies 
that are free from being interfered with by others who might compete with them. It's a, it, it gives you 20 years of grace. Uh, patents used to last 18 years. I think now it's actually 21 or 20. Um, and for those number of years, you have no competitors. Well, you know, um, it's important. I, I really, I mean, you, you talked about the mentoring and you talked about, um, I mean, you started with Jane Swiss as a mentor and 10 years ago, it was in 2008, I think, that he won the, uh, it was actually the Dean's Award that he won. Mm -hmm. uh, when he won the Dean's Award, we went back and started sort of like uh, making connections between people who worked at Bell Labs. And then we had, we found out that, um, I guess this is a name you probably heard of, Walter Hawkins, uh, he was the first black scientist at Bell Labs. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah, he was, in fact, yeah. He, yeah. He, yeah, he was a mentor to James West in the 60s. Mm -hmm. And then West in turn mentored yourself and mm -hmm. William, Massey, William Massey, um, mm -hmm. who, who also won a BEA for mm -hmm. college level promotion of education award. And mm -hmm. one thing that Massey said was that there was this nurturing philosophy at Bell Labs. And, and it, it, it speaks to, it goes right back to the gentleman, Jim, I forget his last name, who Jim you met Labs, in the yeah. principal's yeah, who, 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 well, the, the man you met in the principal's oh. office who, who said- Oh, that was Jim. Um, um, <laughs> you just blanked it from my mind, Jim Stewart. That's right. Yeah, that's right. Who said, "Well, you haven't come to see us." I mean, they mm -hmm. approached you, and, and from yes. that approach, from that contact yes. that they made with you. I mean, it's all part of that nurturing philosophy that Massey spoke about at Bell Labs, and he talked about this in 2018. He said all of this attracted other black scientists and helped to forge uh, winning collaborations between them again, which you've talked about. Um, and um, so uh, it, it, there was this, whatever was going on in the 70s, the good that was going on in the 70s and the 80s and the 90s continues. It's just that somehow we don't seem to be aware of them, except of course, when magazines like Black Engineer Magazine um, make sure that we write about the people who are actually in the trenches and doing the work. So that's why it's always a pleasure to talk to people like you and for, you know, and for you to fill us in to how you, what you've done, what you're doing and how you fit into all of this and how you've made it happen, who made it happen for you and how you're keeping, you know, you're passing the torch on and, and keeping the legacy alive. And uh, well, at this point, I guess what I would like to ask is, what do you, what is your um, prediction for the future? You've been in this now for what, 50 years, five decades. What is, uh, is there anything, I mean, we, we know we're going to Mars, but what else, <laughs> what else is there to be excited about in this field particularly, apart from watching well, streaming all day? <laughs> oh boy, that that is an all-encompassing question. Um, I'll, I'll go. I'll go way out there, then I'll come back in. I think we will make it to Mars, um, even in my lifetime. Um, private enterprise uh, is sort of taking the mantle from NASA, and um, we're launching, you know, spaceships um, that are competitive with what we ever did with the uh, government. By the way, I'm not an anti-government uh, person. I think the government has a very good place in helping people in many ways. 
Um, but it's just exciting to see entrepreneurs uh, going into those fields. I'd like to see black entrepreneurs um, and people who are interested in in that farthest out technology to to join in. And um, I think that's where we can make a, a mark in the future. Um, I think we're going to have to figure out how to um, stop climate change from killing us all. Um, there's a lot of doubt as to no, there's some doubt as to whether climate whether climate uh, change is occurring on in some on some fronts. I think we need to get rid of that thought and work on it. Um, for companies um, that are in the communications field, um, and I think Disney in, in part is. Um, I think we'll see entertainment delivered everywhere in any form. It may sound a little like I'm pushing streaming, but I don't just mean that. Um, I think in the future, virtual reality, augmented reality um, will have their place. Uh, virtual reality, where you put the headset on and you're completely immersed in another world. Um, augmented reality, where you're being helped by a pair of glasses that show you what you need to know as you're walking down the street or if you're in one of the theme parks or if you are anywhere in the world, you have all the information uh, that you could possibly use available to you. Um, I hope we're going to live a lot longer. I think there are medical breakthroughs that have lengthened life and that will continue to um, allow us to perform. Like when I was a young man, I think you would say you were old at 60 years old. Your health was beginning to fail. You were frail. You're walking with a cane. Um, I can tell you I'm 63 and I'm doing pretty well. And so, you know, maybe 70 is the new 60 and 80 is the new 70. And I think we're going to live longer, which means that we'll have more time to get it right, to help each other, as you say, to bring up folks, bring all people up to a high level of understanding of the world around them, but also of the technologies that make the world work. And I would love to see more minorities in um, the in the uh, technology field. Um, as I said, that's why I do give talks, you know, in local high schools and that sort of thing, and um, support anything I can I can that will help young people be interested in science. And I think it starts at a very young age. I have to go back to the very beginning. I think parents need to understand that their children can do anything. Their, your children are the future. They will build a new world that we're going into and exposing them to everything. I mean, you know, you hear parents say, oh, you know, my son is interested in just doodling. That doodling might turn out to be automobile design. It might turn out to be being an artist for Disney. Or my son is always playing with gadgets, but he never pays attention. Well, those gadgets can be the inventions of the future. Uh, Lango, you pointed out that necessity is the mother of invention. It's an old adage, but it's absolutely true. And how do you know where there is a need? You have to be practicing your craft. Again, I can't emphasize after a long-term time in the business, you only get good at doing something by doing it. If you like to draw, then draw all the time. If you like to write, write as much as you can. If you like to, to tinker with electronics or, or write computer games or anything, do it all the time. 
Um, you know, when I was younger, I would interview very junior people who come in and I'd ask them what their hobbies, what, what are your hobbies? And if I heard their hobby was kind of aligned with what they wanted to do, that was a big plus for me. It's okay, you know, to be, to have hobbies that are pure fun, but the thing that you love to do, you should do it as much as you can because it will, it will become, it will be fun for you. Um, when I, when I come to work, um, in my days at Disney, I am almost always happy. You know, I, I really, you know, of course everyone has bad days. Don't get me wrong. Disney's a wonderful company. Uh, but you know, like any company has its ups and downs, but those are very temporary things on the whole. I enjoy what I do. And there's another old saying, which is, if you enjoy what you do, you'll never work a day in your life. And what I feel I think the saddest about is when I hear people saying, oh, my God, I hate my boss. I hate my job. I hate going to the job. I hate everything about it. I wish I didn't have to do this. And I think that to prevent that from happening, I think. People need to find out what they're good with. I do believe everyone has a talent, uh, something that you're born to do. Um, and I think by finding out what that is as early as you can and devoting time to it that you want to do, um, I think that's great. So it's kind of a wandering answer, but um, they're kind of truisms for me after these years. No, I, I think you, you hit all the right notes and you cover the waterfront for us. Um, this has been a fascinating conversation. I hope that I have asked you, is there anything that you would like to add to uh, what, I don't know if Ray has any further questions yeah. for you. But I, actually, actually, I was going to add one thing, um, a little, little lesson on patents. Um, I, I mentioned earlier that a patent is a right, not a right for you to do something, but to prevent others from doing it. What many people don't realize is the U.S. Patent uh, Office has a website that will allow you, with some effort, to write your own patents. Um, if you go to USPTO.gov, you'll see a website that is full of information on how to get a patent, what a patent is, how much it costs to have a patent. And surprisingly, just to, I don't know if I'm making a pitch for the government here, but I think the fee for an individual patenter is in the hundreds of dollars, not the thousands of dollars and not the tens of thousands of dollars to um, apply for a patent. Now, of course, most people will want to hire a lawyer and that's where it gets a little bit difficult. But a person who has already written a patent, um, and I've done some, many, many, many of my early patents, although they went through lawyers and the companies that I worked for, you get kind of a, um, um, the, you get the, the hang of it and you can pretty much write your own. So um, when you mentioned that there are organizations, some African-American that are interested in um, getting more black folks in particular to patent ideas, um, there is a self-help kind of capability here. And, and the patent office itself will offer a, a hand if you write a patent that is not quite accurate. 
often the examiner, that's the person who, who ultimately either says you have a patent, which is a unique idea or not, will say, hmm, you need to rewrite this in a certain way to conform with the law, and then possibly you will have a grantable patent. So I, in some sense, I want to demystify um, getting patents. Patent means that you have a unique idea. If you have a unique idea and can write it up in a way that conforms with the rules that you'll see online, you can get a patent. Um, and if you have maybe a lawyer friend, you can increase your chances of getting a patent by writing a first draft, writing what you think the idea is according to the, to the rules on the patent page, and then showing it to a lawyer to have them fix it up as opposed to having a lawyer write the whole thing, which can be expensive, but have a lawyer basically say, oh, you know what, you need to change this, change that, and have a better diagram. And here's how you do the diagram. So anyway, um, that's my two cents on patents, and I hope that more people get them, uh, because protecting an idea and using it as companies can and as individuals can is super important to move the country forward. Uh. I think that's a great, great point. Um, I know it, it's a little harder probably than just uh, whizzing out apps and in our kind of instant uh, uh, culture, uh, maybe putting together an app sounds a little bit easier than, than doing a, a patent. But, uh, but I think that it's, it's worth the effort. I mean, when you, when you look at uh, what you guys have achieved and, and what the impact it's had on the world, I think that, you know, it's, it's really worth the effort. Ray, over to you. All right, Mr. Smoot, I have, uh, Lango, if you're done and we, we, can, we can end on these, I have uh, uh, five fun questions that you can answer as, as long or as short as you want to, uh, but these are, these, are more, these are more fun. Okay. Um, so the first question, and it's, and it's building off of the energy of your last comments, what is your favorite patent? Oh boy, that's like naming your favorite kids or something. <laughs> um, wow, you know what? I, it's always the one I'm working on now, to be honest. And I unfortunately can't tell you about what I'm working on now, or else I, I would have to leave the company. But I think in the past, the electronic panning camera, which um, Lango mentioned earlier, she said she'd love to have a service where you had complete control of what you see at the remote end of a com uh, communication. And um, that didn't totally come into fruition, uh, but at the time I did it, it was co heavily covered by the media. Um, I did a uh, number of TV uh, spots for it and that sort of thing. And I think it was a very inspiring thing uh, for my old company, for Belcor. Uh, we got more interested in um, uh, virtual reality, I think, because of it, because it's sort of like virtual reality. When you're in virtual reality, you're wearing a headset and you can look around, look around at anything you want in a local environment. This uh, work I did was to allow you to look around in a remote environment, either on a uh, let's say a TV screen or wearing a head-mounted display, you could look around and be somewhere else. And I still think that's coming. Uh, the patent is actually, I think, uh, old now and probably wouldn't hold up. But to, to some extent, that's okay because one of the things I like to do when I'm doing um, engineering work is to have my work followed by other things that make it even better. 
They go in different mm-hmm. directions, and that, that might happen. So my f- favorite uh, patent is on a thing called the electronic panning camera. I did that a number of years ago. Um, I guess one of my favorite patents here was that um, uh, experience, I, well, the ones that I can talk about were the, was the experience uh, where, you know, families compete to find safety hazards. Um, uh, people have actually written that it taught them about hazards in their own homes. So it, but it was both a fun experience and it actually made people safer. So who knew? Awesome. My next question is, who or what has been the biggest influence on your professional life? Oh, boy, that's another hard one. It depends. I've had so many people who indirectly or directly influenced me, people that urged me to go to the right high school, urged me to, you know, apply to college, urged me to were, um, you know, role models um, later in life, not so much earlier. Wow. Um, I'm going to give it to my dad. Uh, he passed away um, when I was still a teenager, uh, unfortunately. But I think a lot of the things I am are because of his encouragement. Um, I'll tell you a poignant moment in my life was that when I was young, he taught me how to do initial repairs. He, he would do TV repair without a degree, without, you know, without college education, without, and, you know, he taught me what he knew. And of course, when we started, he knew more than me. At some point, I began to know more than him. And I think sometimes uh, people almost regret that, you know, oh my, he loved it. He was so happy. <laughs> he would bring home junk televisions for me to fix, you know, so that either we would, you know, either either we would sell them or we had more stuff in the house to to use. And um, at times, I wanted a certain components. I was young. I was like, I don't know, maybe fourteen or something. I said, Dad, I need a transformer for this thing, and. You know, I didn't drive. I couldn't go get these things. There were no mail order. There was no, you know, way to get it. He says, I'll find it for you, right? Mm-hmm. Now, at that point, he might not even have known exactly what the component was going to do and my circuits or whatever, but I would guarantee you he would come home with that component. <laughs> you know, I don't know what TV was missing something somewhere or you know anything else, but I would get it and he would do anything um, to support me. So I'm going to say my dad was the most um, most effective in my life. There have been many others, but, um, you know, that's where I got my start. That's awesome. Um, I'm going to ask you probably to, to uh, one more hard question before I get to some really fun stuff. Um, what was the proudest moment of your career? Um, proudest moment. I, you know what? I think I, I am a, a Disney Research Fellow here okay. at Disney. What I didn't mention is that I became a Belcor Fellow when I was at Bell Communications Research. And Bell Communications Research was a 7,000 uh, employee company of which around 5,000 people were engineers, a little different than Disney. Disney is an entertainment company with a comparatively small engineering division. 
Belcor was all engineering with a you know small support division, and I became a Belcor fellow there, and that was a big deal. Um, in the year that I became a Belcor fellow, there were three, two other people, so I was one of three fellows nominated and who won. Well, many were nominated, but who won that year. And uh, the company uh, gives you a fairly large monetary award. I can probably talk about it now. <laughs> now, now it seems small, but I think <laughs> it was a, a twenty-five thousand uh, dollar award. Um, it was a really nice uh, uh, plaque and that sort of thing. And uh, they put your bust. They build a make a bust of you, and they hang it in the um, the, the lobby of the buildings. So it was a big deal, and. For the same reason that I say that um, awards are important, sure, they stroke your own ego, but for everyone who walked into the Belcor building, and I think it was in multiple buildings, but certainly in the building I was in, they would see this bust of an African-American who had achieved the highest award that Belcor had to offer. And I think... Um, it, I hope that it motivated many of the folks who saw it to say, I can do this. You know, if this guy can do it, you know, <laughs> I often say anyone can do it. So um, I think that was my proudest award. Here, I'm a, a fellow um, for almost the same sorts of reasons, sustained um, contributions to the company. Um, but that one in the bigger engineering uh, group, I think meant more to me because you were competing with 5,000 other um, mm -hmm. engineers and scientists. And to be picked from that was pretty good. That's an amazing accomplishment. It sounds like it's fun and great uh, to have uh, on your resume. Um, so I have to assume, Mr. Smoot, that, that uh, Science fiction and the sci-fi culture has had a profound impact on on you as a person. Oh, yeah. um, what's your Isaac favorite? Asimov. Okay, go ahead. I was gonna re read <laughs> oh, no, no. read them off. You know. Yeah, I was about to say what's what's your favorite sci-fi film and why? Oh, sci-fi film. Oh, I was gonna go yeah. to. I was a big sci-fi reader as a kid. Isaac Asimov and um, just all of the. Um, favorite film, 2001, A Space Odyssey, uh, from the, what you would call the old days, um, mm -hmm. Forbidden Planet, um, from the 1950s, very old movie, even predated me in terms of <laughs> my age, it did come before me, but, um, Forbidden Planet, which I, I recommend everybody should see, um, sounds like it is it somehow, uh, has a funny connotation, but basically it showed mankind, um, in advanced state, you know, we were patrolling the uh, galaxy and in, in uh, spaceships, and introduced a robot character that people in the fifties loved, Robbie the robot. And um, when I was a kid, I saw it and I thought it was a monster movie because there is a monster in it, but that's not the whole story. And as I got mm -hmm. older, it talks about how society better take care of itself and love each other or else bad things will happen. So I don't know if you've seen it, but um, um, I think it's my favorite old-fashioned one. And if I talk about, you know, things that are 
quote-unquote movies or visual, uh, it's definitely Star Trek, um, the first series with Captain Kirk. And I think the series, besides being the only technology thing I could see and really um, uh, sort of appreciate as a youngster, um, it tried to touch on areas of race, of um, bigotry, and all of those things, they they did it by showing, you know, how far, you know, aliens uh, treated each other. But um, I think the series was right on in saying that, you know, those things need to stop. And um, so I guess that's my favorite science fiction series. And of course, I have to do a shout out to anything Marvel or Star Wars because <laughs> one, because uh, I love them and also I work for Disney and we now um, have those franchises and are making new sci-fi and uh, superhero movies each year. And uh, I think we'll continue the legacy that uh, um, the original uh, authors of some of those series um, had. You you don't know how happy I am that you threw that Marvel in there because I'm a huge uh, uh, Marvel superhero buff, so I'm oh, yeah. really happy. <laughs> oh so, yeah, and I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna admit this even on on radio or a podcast that I was a comic book kid, largely and mm-hmm. Marvel, not DC. Sorry, um, <laughs> but, but, but the the reason for that is they they hankered towards the science if you think about their superpowers a lot of them you could kind of emulate with technology and um i i think we'll do some of that in the future so yeah i'm a marvel marvel person love you know love all of it yeah uh i could talk to you all day uh about uh science i mean uh superheroes but uh oh, yeah. in this this last question i have for you um uh, and i really think this is going to be cool for the audience but uh okay what does a day at Disney, what does a day of work at Disney look like? Oh, boy. For me, it's always this. Um, I have a nice office. Um, I have a bunch of awards sitting here, sort of stroke my own ego. And, again, for the same reason, when people come to visit, you can say, hey, I've actually done something. But um, a good part of the happiest part of my day is working in my laboratory. I'm one of the few folks who has my own lab um, as well as plenty of space to to build things that come out of the lab. And um, I will spend time looking at new ideas. Um, I've never been afraid of a blank sheet of paper. And um, one thing, I, I pity people who work for a company and come in and say, gee, I don't know what to do. And the reason I feel sorry for them is if you look around your company, I mean, we're a company that um, has cruise ships, and I've designed attractions and things that would be in a cruise ship. We have theme parks, and I've designed things that have been in theme parks and and things that people would be familiar with. If you go to the Haunted Mansion, for instance, um, there's a a woman in a bowl. Uh, She's called Madame Leota, and she's often Mm -hmm. flying around in a seance room. That's my technology. If you go down one of the holes in the haunted mansion and the paintings are changing from good to evil looks and, you know, the evil in them is is exposed, those are my technology. Um, And just I I go in many different ways. When the interview started, um, Lango had planned to ask me what are my what fields are my patents in? 
And to be quite honest, they go all the way from robots or robotic things, eyes for robots, for instance, that move around and look real, uh, special wheels for big vehicles that can move in any direction called omnidirectional wheels. Um, they go to fiber optic communications in the old days, video and all sorts of things now. So, um, I may be I may be running around a little bit, but um, a day here for me, the fun is being in the lab, coming up with new ideas, being my being in my office to visit and write missives. <laughs> you know, people uh, have come into my office and say, "Gee, I never see you in there. You got some nice office, you big desk and all this sort of stuff." Yeah, that's not me. My thing is making new stuff. And I love a blank sheet of paper. If someone says, hey, we need something cool, that's all I need for a description of something that I can work with. Maybe, oh, where would you think it would go or what might it do? That's all I want. And I enjoy freedom here. Um, being a Disney Research Fellow, I'm trusted to have both good technical sense, but also a certain sense of taste which I'll explain is saying, of all the things I could do, what would be the most fun or what would be the most useful thing I could do? And being able to tell the difference. I think a word to other engineers or, or inventors, if you're inventing something that only you would like and no one else would even care about, that might be fun. I, I do a little bit of that every once in a while. But knowing what might be good for your company or what might be good for other people, every once in a while, it's a good thing to take into account. And so what I enjoy here is a great deal of freedom. I'm really allowed to pursue my own curiosity to move in directions that are um, likely to be good for the company, but also are intuitively good for what I think would work or what else would be, what might be cool, fun, entertaining, scientifically interesting along those lines. So my, my day is a lot of time in the lab, some time doing administrative work as little as I can and um, having fun. That sounds amazing. Um, Mr. Smoot, I want to thank you. This has been a really fun uh, interview. Um, and if you don't have anything left to say or, or Lango, if you don't have anything, um, I want to thank you for your time and thank you for this great interview and um, look forward to meeting you face to face one day. Okay, me too. I, I really love that. So thank you both for even remembering me and um, have a great BE day. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. <laughs> well, you have a wonderful Disney day. I'm just wondering what Disney character is your favorite, but I, I think we'll save that for another time. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I can't. I can't choose amongst my favorites. That's not good. <laughs> okay. All right. Thank you, Mr. Smooth. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to a conversation with Lanny Smooth, featuring Lango Dean and Rayondin Kennedy, presented by USBE and Information Technology Magazine.